It's bananas backpack time, baby. Plus, Brandon may be TJ's new favorite player, but he's also the red team sacrificial lamb. Car, Maria, and Abram, they scratch the shit out of each other while also defending against internal attacks from teammates Laurel and Sarah. Ty throws plants and gases out. Tyler eats his way to victory. Katie and Chet take horrible falls. Bananas gets in a bar fight. And once again, Paula gets absolutely screwed over by one of her good dear friends, It's the challenge. Season 20, Cutthroat. Full season rewatch and recap coming up right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to the challenge historian where we dive deep into all things the challenge past present or future if it's happening in the challenge universe then we are here to document it i am your host and dedicated challenge historian jacob hollaball thank you so very very much for being here with me today on today's podcast we are talking all things cutthroat season 20 the rewatch series continues on we've entered the 20s we've gotten over halfway through and we are on to a very pivotal season in challenge history the end of an era i would say in the beginning or right on the beginnings of the beginning of a new era it's a wonderful season it's a great season it's an extremely interesting and high quality end to end season lots to discuss and of course we shall discuss it all quick programming reminders before we dive in first and foremost as the rewatch series goes here we're going to have one a one week break. There will be no rewatch next week. Next Monday, we will not have Rivals for two weeks from today. So this is coming out on Mondays. We will begin Rivals in the next set of 10 seasons two weeks from now. So you're going to have a one week break, a little extra time to dive into the Rivals season. And then once we hit that one two weeks from now, we're going to do the next 10 Rivals, the Dirty 30, the rest of the way this calendar year leading right up to Invasion and Dirty 30, both coming out the last week of the calendar year that is the goal that is the plan that is what should happen so we got one week off from the rewatch and then diving back in with rivals two weeks from today along with that we've got ride or dies recaps no weeks off there no weeks off ever when it comes to recapping live episodes we got season 38 one episode in the books two if you count the launch special which this time around we didn't totally count kind of a half episode anyways Wednesday nights, super late, right after the episode airs, we podcast about it. I get that out to you first thing Thursday morning. It's in your feeds, ready to go, ride or dies every week, the whole season long. And then finally, we've got Survivor Recaps, if you're watching that as well. If you're watching both, you're probably like me, probably going to choose Challenge over Survivor. Of course, that is what I'm doing, which means I'm watching Survivor a little bit later on a Thursday. I'm recording after that, and that is coming out on Saturday mornings over on Most Likely 2 podcast feed, me and Paige breaking down all things Survivor 43. So that's what we've got coming up in the near term here. As for today, back to what we're here to discuss. Let's dive on in. It's Cutthroat Season 20, a big one, a memorable one. One that honestly, as you're going to hear here, my opinion again for this is now, 
the third season in a row or in a row as far as ones we're recapping not chronologically because again fresh me was first anyways third one in a row that i'm a little bit surprised where i actually ended up with the season grade at the very end how i thought about it upon rewatch in this one in the positive so a lot to get to let's dive in with the high level state of the challenge basics of the season let's talk cutthroat Kicking things off, as always, at the highest level. Let's talk where the challenge was at entering season 20. A big, monumental season of the show, if for no other reason than big round numbers tend to be big, monumental seasons just because of the nature of the number that comes before it. And we're on our 20th season of the challenge at this point being acknowledged as the 20th season. Of course, there was always the longest season one, Road Rules All-Star season one of the challenge, or is real world world rules challenge season one who knows but by this point they were acknowledging road rules all-stars this was officially season 20 and they wanted to do something new they needed to do something new and this season to me where the show as a franchise was at is over the last few seasons we've talked really last five seasons we've talked about the transitional era that the show was in one big slew of stars kind of going out a new slew of stars coming in well this season to me is the one where that transition ends it's the last one of that transitional period after this one it's fully a new world a new game new sets of stars all of the old schools all the real ogs are gone with the slight exception of a ct if you want to count ct but obviously ct is one of two or three that transcends the eras because they've been a part of every single one but You've got this season coming in. Abram, Brad, and Derek still there, still around, right on there. You know, Brad outwardly says it's his last season. Abram and Derek would, you know, all three of them would eventually do more, but there would be big, long breaks with them. It kind of feels like the end of, you know, those are the only three, and even they weren't the OG OGs. You know, they came around in season 8, 9, 10 range, but pretty much the last of the OGs left. And after this season, it's fully, you know, Johnny Bananas, Cara Maria, Laurel, Wes, and then a whole slew of new people that we've got from Fresh Meat 2, that we've got from some recent real-world seasons. Speaking of real-world at this time, it is starting to produce really big. Again, as far as a feeder system into the challenge world goes, from Brooklyn to now D.C. and Cancun, bringing us lots of great personalities, lots of great competitors. Cancun and D.C. are the two seasons that offer up some rookies to this cast here this season, which leads me then to... The sum that all up. The challenge is in a great place. It's starting a new era. It's ha- officially ended one, and not just ended one, but ended the transition between one into the other. And this is kind of the statement on the end of that. It works out really poetically that it is Brad with his then wife Tori at the end getting the win. But overall, the state of the show is strong. They know there's a long road ahead of them, and they've gotten through the transition, and they're about to take off on a new era of the show. The basics of this season, TJ Lavin, of course, here hosting. We are in Prague, Czech Republic for the first time, not the last time in challenge history. There's $300,000 up on four grabs as well as what TJ says is upwards of $200,000 of prizes. I don't fully know if I uh, believe that estimate in number, but regardless, there's the same $300,000 plus prize pot up and available, and there's 30 cast members fighting for their part of it. Those cast members would be on the male side. We've got Brad from San Diego, Dunbar from Sydney, Tyler from Key West, Abram South Pacific, Luke Fresh Meat 2, Derek Extreme, Bananas Key West, Dan Viewers Revenge, 
Brandon Fresh Meat 2, Chet from Brooklyn, Ty from DC, Easy from Fresh Meat 1, Vinny from Fresh Meat 2, JD from Brooklyn, and Derek from Cancun. Over on the female side, we got Tori from Viewers Revenge, Kara and Laurel from Fresh Meat 2, Sarah from Brooklyn, Emily from DC, Jen from Denver, Paula Key West, Teresa Fresh Meat 2, Camilla Spring Break Challenge, Melinda Austin, Katie The Quest, Aia Cancun, Siobhan Sydney, Mandy Fresh Meat 2, and Emily Fitzpatrick from Cancun. So we've got a host of rookies from Cancun. And from Real World DC, as well as one more, Camilla from Spring Break Challenge. So we've got a bunch of rookies in the house. And that leads us to the player histories. Going into this season, there's a lot of history. This is the newest part of the segment on the Rewatch series. If you haven't listened to the last couple pods, we've started to do this. We're going into the season. There's so much past history. It's such a big part of who they cast and the storylines that are going to come that we've got to discuss what was the situation going in so then we can discuss what actually unfolds in the season that was. So a bunch of them that matter going into this season. First one, Cara Maria is coming off of Fresh Meat 2 where she was out first. She was barely there, didn't really make much of an impact at all, and also didn't take getting voted in and losing first all that well, which had Laurel also coming off Fresh Meat 2, where she was the dominant female of the group as a rookie. Noticed that from Kara, and the two of them already had some bad blood coming in and some expectations of each other coming in that would play out in full this season. We've got Sarah Queen rookie from the ruins kind of maintained that status even with an early loss on Fresh Meat 2. She's fully in the know. She befriended all the vets right away. She is, you know, already Sarah of the challenge, you know, holding that high status in the game. We've got Abram and John, as he would call him, Johnny Bananas, coming in. Openly not liking each other coming into this season. Abram obviously left the island, which saved Johnny. He would go on to get his first win, but the two of them don't like each other at all. Not a lot of love lost or respect there. No big open fights before this. There would be down the line, obviously, in the future, but... We certainly knew coming in, they weren't exactly the best of friends. However, Johnny and Derek, now two-time champions in a row together. Derek, three-time champion. Johnny, two-time. But both of them together, the last two seasons they've been on. So they're coming in knowing they want to work together. They end up getting to be teammates on this season. Paula is right there with them, but doesn't trust either of those two anymore because of what they did to her on the island. She does, however, trust Dunbar, even though things between the island and the dual two between her and Dunbar didn't always go exactly as planned. She does have trust there, no longer for the Bananas and Derek. Brad and Tori, who met on the challenge and are now married coming into a challenge house, which, what do you know, that has happened a couple times before. Sam and Kayla on Ride or Dies were not the first ever married couple. Brad and Tori are the second after Chadwick and Holly back on season five, Battle of the Seasons. Just a little bit of history for you there. And then, of course, we've got Easy coming in after being DQ'd in a final prior to this. He and Katie, who have been partners before on a season, are buddies. They've got each other, but they've always also got the baggage of their past performances with them. So that's where everything's settled coming in. As for Evolution's first history made during this season before we get right into the big, big story storylines couple things of historical purposes evolutions that were made first off 
the first ever non-real-world road rules or fresh meat player enters the game. That would be Camilla coming from the spring break challenge. So we have a new, you know, we've got new barriers as far as where someone could come from and enter the challenge house. It'll be many seasons before anyone else comes from anything else outside of this. And Camilla from spring break challenge is a complete and utter one off coming from that that challenge that did happen, you know, it's not a full challenge, but a thing that happened, MTV Spring Break was a big popular thing around this time. The first ever time we have three teams competing, brand new format. We'll talk a lot about that here coming up soon. We have mercenaries for the first time, a massive evolution in the history of the game. They are called heavy hitters in this season, but they serve the role of what we would later know as a mercenary. CT and Tina coming in to face off in an elimination to decide someone's fate in the game just a one-off come do some work go home get a little paycheck for your troubles that's the first of its kind brad on this season upon winning would set the record for the most seasons ever before winning your first this is his eighth season it took him eight seasons to get that win but get that win he does we also have a change in format medical dq in a final no longer costs the team Anything except for time. It no longer DQs your team in full as it has done previously and historically relevant on the challenge in seasons prior. And then finally, Derek sets a very unfortunate record that would have, that would eventually be matched by Anissa and possibly others. Uh, I'm going to have to d- double check and look back. But Derek on this season loses in the last elimination before the final. This is the third time in Derek's career he has lost the last elimination before the final. Thankfully, in between those, he won three straight challenges. So, it, you know, if without those three wins, if this just happened again, if we changed the timeline around, this would be even more heartbreaking than it already is. It is a pretty heartbreaking loss at the end for him. But that's a bit of the history that's made. That's the high level. That's the history coming in. The players, how they get along, how they know each other, what they're playing for, where the show is at. Let's then dive in. The table is set. Let's talk biggest storylines from the season, season 20, Cutthroat. Nailing down the biggest storyline of the season. This is one of those seasons, like a few we've discussed before, that there isn't the one big obvious one. There is the one big obvious moment. I've already referenced it. I'm probably going to say it dozen plus times throughout this obviously the johnny bananas backpack the ct bananas backpack is you know this iconic inflection point massive moment everyone i'm sure it's not even spoiling that that's going to win the moment of the season later on in this podcast i don't feel like i'm spoiling anything by saying that i'm guessing you assumed that that would happen and you assumed correctly but that's one single moment from a mercenary that comes into the game. The idea that that was is the biggest storyline of the season is it just can't be because it's literally, you know, it is a to be continued of an episode. So it carries over between one episode to another, but it's the final five minutes of one episode and the first five minutes of the next. It's not that large of a storyline that could take, you know, the first spot here, nor is there even that great of an argument for any one specific thing to take the spot because as we will talk about at the end of the storyline segments, there's so many little ones. Everyone gets their story. But before we get to that, there are a couple things that do stand. Well, as much as everyone gets something, there are a couple that stand above the rest. And the first one we've got to talk about is, if you have to say the biggest one, the one that lasts the entirety of the season, 
and that has multiple layers to it, multiple sub-stories within it, and that is Abram and Cara Maria. Along with Laurel and Sarah and the Gray team in general, Abram and Cara Maria are the biggest story of the season together in a couple different ways. The first one, the fun one for this particular season at least, is the romance. As they themselves in this season say, and everyone else does as well, which I don't know if they always love that everyone else says it this way, but the two weirdos who fall for each other, these two... They, they, they fall hard, they have found a match in each other, and they are having the best of times. It starts early and often, and by the second episode, we've got the two of them, you know, him pumping her up before she goes into an elimination, followed by her coming back from elimination and them spending some time, you know, out in the yard at night caught by the security cameras, those security cameras. They do they do a lot of heavy lifting in the world of the challenge and they did a lot on this particular episode catching them outside and then everyone not so much as catching them in the bathroom after that but just overhearing throughout the entire house the two of them in the bathroom catching them on the way out the very memorable battle scars, if you will, across Abe's chest um, and everywhere else. The painting of each other, the just the hanging out, the one of the all-time makeouts in challenge history where they're making out sitting at the piano and Abe is playing the piano at the same time and it happens. It might just be tricky editing, but I think it's actual true. Everyone else is asleep and trying to sleep and Abe's just playing the piano super loud while the two of them hang out and make out all night long. It's a lovely, wonderful romance, and especially looking back and doing what we do on this rewatch series where we try to view everything as if it was in the moment and we didn't know necessarily what would happen in the future. It's lovely, it's wonderful, and it's amazing to watch. Yes, with the hindsight, we know that there's some troubled times ahead for this particular relationship. There's some not-so-fun moments out in real life and certainly within the show as well, but for this particular season... They're together, they're romantic, it's wonderful, it's great, we love all of it, but a couple people don't necessarily love that, and that would be Laurel and Sarah, because, well, for the first episode or two, it's like, all right, we've got this romance story over here, that romance story quickly turns into probably the biggest story of the season, which is the internal fight between the Grey team with Laurel and Sarah desperately wanting to get Cara Maria out of the game because they think of her as a weak competitor based off of the previous Fresh Meat performance and based off of really just the reaction to getting voted in first on Fresh Meat 2 is pretty much all they're basing it off of because they act all season long like every single daily challenge. She's so nervous. She's all terrified. She's all scared. And it's all really just as far as we're seeing, which we're seeing pretty much all of it, and she talks about it very calmly and openly the whole time, and Abe and the other teammates do, that, you know, it's just a projection of she did that the one time on Fresh Meat 2, and then they're acting like she's done it every day the whole time they've been in Prague, but they want her gone. Abram is arguing for her to always stay, to not necessarily get thrown into an elimination or to not throw challenges for the purpose of them being able to put Cara Maria into elimination and hope she would lose. He has Dan and Luke, nice guys, good friends, Dan and Luke on their side, his side, her side, against Laurel and Sarah pretty much the whole back half of the season when they want to throw. And as we're going to talk about in a moment, he has he and she, that is Abram and Cara Maria, have the format on their side where, yes, 
If you want to throw challenges, you can for the purpose of trying to get Cara Maria in there, but it's our team that votes who in, and if you're going to throw them, we're going to put you in, not her, and that leads to many memorable moments late in the season and really impacts the game in a massive way, as we will talk about when we break down the competitive nature of this season with how Laurel, in particular, is unable to ever go through with throwing a challenge in hopes of then getting the vote on Cara Maria and not herself, and instead it turns into a Laurel and Abram arguing over who has to prove what to whom, who has the power, who has the votes within their team. Is Abram saving Cara Maria because he truly thinks she's a really good competitor or because he likes being able to sleep in the same bed at night with her? Definitely seems like a mix from the outside of that because Cara does step up this season. She starts to evolve into the Cara Maria we would know, still nowhere near the like unbelievable athlete that she would become, but certainly the very good, tough-nosed competitor um, that was always there from the start. And slowly but surely, she added being maybe the best athlete on the show over time into her repertoire as well. But it's a battle all season long. It's the biggest story, and it's really the downfall of the gray team in the end, uh, which we will get to momentarily because that wraps us into what will be our third storyline. But before we do... Abram and Cara Maria, Abram, Cara versus Laurel and Sarah, Gray Team Unity. That's definitely probably the biggest of the few storylines that rise a little bit above the others. But there's two more we want to talk about before we then dive into a bunch of little ones. Second major storyline to discuss is the format of the show itself. We referenced in the evolutions, this is the first ever time we've got three teams, and it also is the third ever time we have a draft. And guess what? Just like the two times prior to it, drafts work in the challenge. Drafts are awesome. They are great TV in the first episode. They are great twist in the first episode of the season. And for the third straight time, it also leads in more, even more so than previously. Previously, it's been drafts for partners, which has led to slightly lopsided results, but ultimately very interesting and competitive nonetheless results. But this one leads to Damn near perfectly competitive teams, uh, very evenly dispersed, even with the three women picking being two rookies and Siobhan, who hadn't been around a long time in her two previous seasons to totally get to know anyone. It still ends up being perfect. More drafts, please. Bring the draft back. You want to have all these twists and turns every single episode of the Modern Challenge. That's fine, I guess. Just make them the good ones. You already you gave me a huge favor. You brought back the Double Cross. Love it. Brought that back for Ride or Dies. Now, whatever the next season of the challenge is, whichever version of the challenge it is, bring back the draft. I love it. It works every time. They draft for teams. We get three teams. And that three-team format is arguably one of the biggest stories of the season because it works. It finally works. And that they've never gone back other than, you know, briefly at the end here, uh, second half of Spies, Lies, and Allies, you know, now uh, half a year, full year ago. Um, they've never gone back to this three-team type of setup, and it worked so well this season, and it worked for a whole bunch of reasons that aided the show in a whole bunch of ways and helps be the show 
that really, along with the cast itself, this season, because of the format and where the incentives lay, it really, really, really helped a lot of the ugliness that we've talked about for seasons on end here from Inferno 3, Gauntlet 3, Island, and Ruins specifically, and even some on Fresh Meat 2, although it was more, you know, below you know below the line above board however you want to say type of drama nastiness on fresh meat too but it helps eliminate some of that because it's three teams one team wins and they're just safe no decisions to be made no throwing anyone else in no nothing you win you're safe and you get to be happy and have fun if you want if your team wants to argue that's fine too you can but it actually promotes that one third of the house at any given time is actually in a good mood and trying to have fun and trying to just be entertaining and have a good time wherever they are and that promotes some fun things to actually happen in the house and actually you know entertaining television is made from that we then also have the losing teams throwing in their own teammates which means indirectly affects the ability to throw challenges which has been something that has hampered seasons in the past in a big, big way. When it's the other team getting to pick who goes in from you, you can throw t- challenges and be safe because the other you're working with the other team and it leads to as compelling as that might be as an individual storyline of like, oh, is you know Katie all the way back on the gauntlet going to throw a challenge? Is CT going to throw the challenges on the girls' day every time? Is, you know, name your season of the last 10 seasons and some one's probably thinking to throw in challenges to help the other team to make a deal with the other team, if not outright doing it. And while that's compelling for a moment, it ruins the daily challenges completely. And that's a third of almost every episode. You need those to actually be compelling and interesting and competitive. So this allows for that and it just it still becomes a storyline because the thought of it is there. The idea of do we have the votes? We could throw it because we want to get rid of a certain team member, but only if the whole team agrees, which I just think is a way better way to go about that and makes it much more interesting. The team infighting to me, the, the gray team on this season fighting the whole time, the red team kind of combusting, the blue team actually being tight-knit and in alignment with everything and never having any arguments over who's going in or anything. All of that is actually very interesting in this season, much more so than the cross-team fighting of teams disliking each other and, you know, making deals with the other. I, I honestly think this is much better and much more interesting to watch. And it also, another thing where it leads to positive, fun, good atmosphere in the house where good, fun, interesting entertainment can happen is it means you're allowed to be friends with the other team a little bit. You're allowed to hook up with the other team. You're allowed to have a good time at the bar or at the birthday party at the house or whatever silly shit's going down in the hot tub or whatever. You're allowed to actually interact with the other team unless your name's Camilla and that other team member is Johnny Bananas and then you might not be so much uh, allowed to do that, or at least it might just be used as an excuse to keep throwing the rookie in and keeping the married couple safe week after week. But the format works incredibly well. The fact they haven't brought it back, you know, I am one who certainly chooses pair seasons overall. I think male-female pairs is the best seasons the challenge can offer, has the potential to be the best seasons the challenge can possibly offer, but... If I was going to do a team season in the modern day, I would want it to be a three-team season. I would want it to be this exact same setup that we have here. 
I love everything about this. I love exactly how it goes down. Male, female weeks all at once, the same time, always a male elimination, a female elimination. Your own team votes you in the secret vote. We didn't even mention the secret vote. They straight up steal from Survivor. They do the secret vote in the basement. You walk up, say it to the camera. We get the montage. Some people's votes we know, some people's we don't. We eventually can find out afterwards that stuff becomes public information. But those little segments every single episode are great. There leads to some really interesting stuff. It's all great. The format works. Bring it back in a better version than I know they they basically made Spies, Lies, and Allies Cutthroat 2 the second half. They used the logo and everything a couple times. We called that out. It was one of our best you know sleuthing jobs, editing sleuthing jobs we've ever done here at the Challenge Historian. But it didn't fully work out. They didn't make it the same format. Bring this back. Do straight up Cutthroat 2, and I think fans will be happy. Now, a few different times I've already glossed over a couple things, and that was for the specific purpose of this next big storyline before we get to the idea that almost everyone gets a storyline this season. That's coming up in a moment. But first, we have to talk about the level of competition this season being so even and really for one of the first times I can ever truly remember in challenge history, there's always kind of been a favorite or a group of front runners or a very clear delineation of like who can win this season, who can't win this season. And even for those of us like myself that lean a little more heavy towards, I like the sports side and competitive side of the show as much or more as I do the reality show drama side of the show. There's many, many seasons where I'm like, yeah, the actual competition isn't all that interesting isn't I'm not all that wrapped up and I'm not all that guessing at who's going to actually take this home who's going to win this season completely different it is for the first time that I can remember extraordinarily even across the board and at many different times within this season basically almost any single episode at any point or every couple episodes if you did every two episodes every one to two episodes you would at every every turn of this 10 episode season think that a different team was going to win and you would have thought different people would be on that team when they got to the end and had that chance to win. Let's kind of walk through all three teams and what goes down over the course of their season. Starting with the gray team. The gray team does, in in a sense, dominate the season. If you're going off just the daily challenges, they win five out of nine of the daily challenges. So if you just looked at that, if someone from the outside looked at that and been like, well, one team, there's three teams and one of them won over half, they won five of the nine daily challenges. Seems like they kind of dominated, right? And you would be mostly right because it they do as far as the bank accounts are considered, but also kind of not really and not certainly the way that you would think they would looking back on this team. That's a point for a moment from now. Abram and Laurel are clearly the best male and female there as far as the daily challenges go. Obviously, we see at the end, Abram does not turn out to be the best male there as far as a final is considered in the endurance aspect, whatever the hell happened to him that day. But over the course of the season, if you were just going to pick one male and one female to have on your team for the dailies and for eliminations this season out of this cast in this moment, you're picking Abram and Laurel no question about it. You could maybe argue Abram versus a, you know, a Derek or Bananas or Brad, maybe, but I'm not even having that argument at this point. And I'm certainly not having an argument with Laurel versus anyone, even with Emily Schramm making her initial rookie appearance here. They're clearly the best and they dominate for their team. They're the reason their team wins 
almost all the ones that they win. There's, you know, Laurel and Abram literally single-handedly winning the high top challenge where they got to carry the ball on the little tall table that they're holding up a hill. There's Laurel and Abram being the single reasons they win the last daily of the season riot act because they're just completely dominant in one-on-one physical matchups. They both crush it on all five of the ones that they win. Laurel in the first, the gas chamber, the horrifying gas chamber challenge that they start with where they have to go in actual tear gas. Uh, She has to go multiple times, is the only player to do that across any of the teams because Aia has to sit out because of a medical condition. I assume that's asthma or just I'm a sane human being and I don't want to do that. Um, But either way, Laurel has to do it twice and does better than everyone else both times, first time and the second time, leading their team to the win. They're the reason they win over and over. And looking back, The fact that this team does not win the final is absolutely mind-blowing given where they would go on to the standing they would go on to have in the the world of the challenge. If you told me there's a final where Laurel, Cara Maria, Sarah, Abram, and then Luke are your final five, that's an insane group, and I know what you're saying. Well, yeah, four of those five, but Luke. Shout out to Luke because I don't know that it's going to get mentioned anywhere else in this, this podcast, but he deserves it because... Just like on Fresh Meat, too, where it really wasn't all about him that they lost. It was him and Evan, Evelyn together losing that. He performed really well all season long. On this season, he performs really well all season long, and he performs incredibly well in the final challenge. So shout out to Luke. He was awesome this whole season long, and the fact that it's him and then Abram, Sarah, Car, Maria, and Laurel, those are the legends of the game. Those are all multi-time champions eventually. And yes, Car, Maria, again, isn't the Car, Maria she would be, you know, by Vendetta's era. Car, Maria, Sarah isn't the Sarah endurance-wise that she would be by, you know, X's two rivals, three Sarah. Laurel's Laurel the whole time. She's been a beast, is a beast, will be a beast until, you know, far into the future until way older than anyone should be. She is just, she's Laurel. That's what she is. But this team not winning is kind of wild. There's a reason they won five of the nine dailies, but they had the infighting. Laurel and Sarah didn't want Cara Maria there. Turns out they were wrong in the end. Cara absolutely carries her weight in the final, but you know, the infighting breaks them down. Abram and Sarah both dropping in the final. Yes. The final is about a 12 mile in the, very, it seems very hot heat, uh, hot ish, you know, regular summer hot, not like desert, uh, hot, but super hot heat exhaustion gets the best of both of them. This team not winning though. It's kind of, kind of mind blowing looking back. Cause their, their team is, if any of them are stacked, they're all again, pretty even. That one was the most, let's look at the blue team, which seems like through seven episodes, they're, they're the team to beat in seven episodes in literally at the end of episode seven, they're coming off of having one in episode six. They win both elimination matches to keep their team at five and level out the playing field of getting red down. They red goes from eight to or nine to six in one episode with Chet leaving uh, medically and then blue beating them in two eliminations. And suddenly they then win the next daily challenge. They're riding high. They have the best team unity. Johnny, Derek, and Jen are running the show. Everyone else is fully in line with doing whatever they want to do, going in whenever they have to go. And at the end of the seventh episode, it's like, holy cow, this is a 
scrap. Like the other two teams got some good players and all, but they're fighting like crazy. And this team has got bananas, Derek, Jen, Emily, and Teresa left. This is a wrap. Like what? That That's a stacked team. Good across the board. They can all run. They can all do this. So good. Jen's going to get a win. This is going to be amazing. Johnny's going to get his third. Derek's going to get his fourth in a row. Emily's going to be a rookie champion. Teresa's going to get one already. Second season in. It's looking in crazy. And then they absolutely blow it in highball. Reference highball before challenge where in pairs of two they have to hold this about 10 12 foot tall what looks like a high top table a cocktail table if you will that has a flat platform on the top where you throw a ball on top and then balance it balance the ball on top and carry it up the hill deposit it in a bucket at the top of the hill it is very difficult but they only get one the entire time Abram and Laurel as a pair on their team win it for their team. I think they get five in the end. They get really going by the end of it. But they try to do pairs in this one of Johnny and Derek. And then I believe it is Emily and Teresa maybe. And Jen is throwing the balls on top. But either way, they blow it because the pairs in that instance need to be Johnny and Emily. Height-wise matches up. Calm person with someone who likes to bark out orders matches up. They have a good uh, good camaraderie chemistry the whole season. And then Derek and Jen, who work really well together, similar height again, good communication between those. Teresa throwing the balls. Those should have been the pairs. And I think if those were the pairs, who the hell knows? It's a very difficult challenge. It's crazy how well Abram and uh, Laurel do at it. But I think if they do those pairs instead, they win that challenge. And then we don't get the complete and utter bad luck that befalls them after this because they lose that and the rest is obviously history bananas volunteers emily volunteers because previous to that derek had volunteered so it was bananas turn with only the two of them left and johnny gets ct not tyler in elimination we all know how that goes johnny goes on out of there now would johnny have beat tyler in that same elimination I think most people would say no. I think most people would look at it and be like, similar as to why Tyler isn't moved the same way by CT as Johnny is, just purely off of size, that that thing, that competition matters so much to size. I don't know if I agree, and I say that as someone who is a complete and utter Tyler stan. Tyler is top five favorite challengers of all time for me. I absolutely adore that man, but... It would have been a very even matchup. I don't know who would win. It would be a toss-up to me, but I think Johnny's both experience and his strength. Uh, by this point, Johnny Bananas is, whether you want to admit it or not, is a top-flight athlete, a whole bunch of strength, He's working out like a madman. And I think he can. he has the endurance factor, so if that isn't Tyler being able to drag him very quickly, that becomes an endurance. I digress. Either way, he gets CT instead of Tyler. That is a huge, you know... A stroke of unfortunate luck that leads to an iconic moment and a wonderful moment in incredible television. But it's a stroke of bad luck for the blue team. And then a second stroke of bad luck befalls them the next time around. The just the numbers don't match up in the final daily. They have no chance at winning the final daily challenge, which means they have to go into the final elimination again, which means Derek has to go in. And then Derek gets fed Tyler in an elimination where size trumps everything. And on top of that, it is Tyler, who is arguably one of the best athletes in this cast, um, way underrated athlete the entire time through the challenge, even eventually as a two-time champion, super still underrated and how good of an athlete he was. 
as well as the fact that he's a massive dude. He's huge. And compared to most challengers who average height a little on the short side, Tyler, actual above average tall person in real life. And then you go against Derek size wise. It's just not going to, it's not going to happen. And so blue team that looks on top of the world, seven episodes in looks like we're coasting to another Derek bananas and friends championship just gets derailed by absolute bad shit luck in the eliminations and in the daily challenges. The only time they kind of mess up the format production wise in this season is that there's a couple moments at the very end of the season where the size of the team matters a lot. And I would prefer that to be leveled out in some way. It's not as egregious in the final daily challenge of the season as it is in the final itself where they don't level the playing field of like how much everyone has to do depending on how many players you have. That's, that's another conversation for maybe a different part of this podcast. Anyways, let's move to the red team then. So that's the story of gray. That's the story of blue. Then we got the story of red who most of the season looks like the team that has no shot. You're like, all right, blue's got some big time players and great team chemistry. Gray has is absolutely stacked from, you know, best male, best female, good complimentary players, but they hate each other. Uh, half of them love each other. Half of them hate each other. That doesn't look good. But red over here, their players are quality. Certainly They're, It's not like they got any scrubs rolling around, but they, as much as they have the strongest alliance, they have the least amount of unity because that alliance is just kind of running thing without openly saying it. They're just doing it and letting it be known eventually over time. And it just feels like they're a step behind the other two teams most of the season, right up really until the very end when suddenly you're like, wait a minute, the team they have left for the final is actually completely and utterly stacked. So this is going to turn out well for them, isn't it? And it does. But they play it smart. They play truly cutthroat game the whole time. They come in and Brad Tory, obviously married again, challenge, uh, challenge, uh, people that work at the challenge social accounts specifically, uh, has happened before happened this season. They were married on this season. Don't you know? Anyways, Brad and Tory come in. They are working directly with Dunbar, Tyler, and Paula. Those five rock solid. They end up being chosen for the same team. There is a big reason behind that is because Camilla makes the first pick. She picks Dunbar. He very much influences the picks after that. They end up all together. They are, know they're working together, and they ride strong the whole time. Brandon ends up being, you know, Brandon and Camilla, Brandon even more so on the male side. He's going in over and over and over because those five have a deal and that means that, you know, once Chet DQs medically, it's like, Brandon, we were going to maybe, you know, we were working with Chet a little bit there. We were going to maybe switch it up, you, him, you, him, but now he's gone. So it's just you because the other three of us are never going in until you're gone and you keep winning. So good for us. So they play the smart, intelligent, cutthroat game as much as it sucks to be Brandon in this situation. But there is very much division, but ultimately there's very good planning and it comes down to the end. And it comes down to those five left and not being able to stick together 100% till the end because some people have to go in the last couple of eliminations. Tyler falls on the sword once and then thinking that he won't have to do it again, but ultimately he does. He's pushed onto the sword the second time. He comes out of it both times, but also pushed onto the sword is Paula because at the end, my girl Paula, one of my absolute favorites, she is betrayed yet again by Dunbar, and it doesn't 
make sense to me at all. I know Paula and Dunbar have the history they do from Duel 2 where things got really rocky between them, but ultimately that's how their relationship was the whole time. It's always a little rocky, but they also always stuck by each other, which caused a lot of that rockiness for them in the other houses they've been in together. And in this one, when it comes down to the very end and it's like, all right, we the, the, the Dunbar is the swing vote, the last, last two. It's Brad and Tori obviously voting together. Tyler and Paula pretty obviously voting together. Dunbar in the middle. And the idea that Dunbar chooses Brad and Tori over Paula and Tyler, it befuddles me. I don't exactly know where he's going with that, especially because he and everyone else admits, Tori herself admits, Brad admits that Paula is the number one female anyone there wants for a final because of her endurance and how much she's been working on that and what level of endurance she is at going into that. She's so ready. She's recently crushed it on a couple seasons in a row from an endurance standpoint. She smoked Evelyn and her partner, Jeff, let her down on fresh meat too. So she's ready to go. And Dunbar is the swing vote and Dunbar ditches her and goes with Brad and Tori and Tyler and Paula go into the final elimination. Paula goes home, goes up against a beast, Emily Schramm, which eventually would pay dividends for her way down the road, rivals too. But in this moment, wouldn't. And honestly, all that changes if Dunbar just changes his vote here is, you know, Brad and Tori go in instead of Tyler and Paula. Brad versus Derek becomes an incredible matchup. I don't know who wins that. That's that's a really, really, really good matchup in that particular game. Just perfect size matchup. Um, Derek certainly could get that win. Tori definitely goes home to Emily Schramm. So that still happens. But regardless, it probably just ends up being Brad Dunbar, Tyler, and Paula instead of Tori in that final challenge. And, you know, then Dunbar and Paula would have won together. How great would that have been? Tyler and Paula would have won together. How great would that have been? But they stick together. They have the strongest team by the end, maybe, arguably. I still think still thinks Gray is better. But uh, as divided as they were, they played the true cutthroat game from the start. They played the veteran savvy game from the start. They held one major alliance from the start, got them to the end, and ultimately got them the win. Our final storyline of substance then, before we dive into some awards to talk about the rest of the season is the fact that I've referenced a couple times now, everyone gets a storyline. There is so many little storylines to this season, and it's so well done. It's maybe the most fully rounded a season has ever been as far as making sure everyone in the cast, I guess not making sure, just organically it happened, that everyone in the cast has a little bit of a story arc. Everyone has a moment here or a moment there or something going on. I'm going to run through them. We're not going to talk in depth about all of them, but it's just wild to run through the full list and be like, yeah, this many people of a 30-person cast. I'm about to list how many do I got here? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and some of those are doubled up. So 20-plus people have real meaningful stories this season or arcs this season where you can be like this is the thing that that person on that season this was what that was about and that's insane let's go through team by team let's start with the red team obviously brad and tori at the top we've got a married couple in the house going wire to wire we've got every the backstory between brad and tori 
from previous seasons, having met, having, you know, almost broken off an engagement the last season, Duel 2, they were on together. Now they're married, they're in, they get the win. That's a big storyline. We've got Brandon. He has one of the biggest stories of the season. He's thrown in four times. He's got TJ Lavin out there literally saying to his team, I don't know what you're doing. You're making the wrong decision. That's your best player, but I don't get it. You vote, not me. That's incredible. That's a big storyline for Brandon. We've got Camilla, who's also thrown in multiple times. We have the tension between her and her team over her friendship, maybe romantic feelings for dickhead Johnny Bananas, as he's referred to most of the time by most members of the red team. That's a storyline. We've got my favorite, Tyler. His stress eating becomes a storyline, especially when it ultimately, you know, maybe that extra three, four pounds he puts on during the season helps even more during that CT elimination. We have him being the only one on his team that is not scared of going into an elimination, a gulag, once they actually have to vote in members of their alliance. And we maybe have arguably secretly under the radar, Tyler being the best player there, uh, Possibly, maybe, possibly. I think there's an argument to be made for it. So Tyler's got storylines everywhere. We've got Chet. He has a big storyline by the fact that he, you know, falls off, gets obviously injured, finishes the challenge anyways, goes to the hospital for two days. TJ has to come in, DQ him, the whole thing. He's got a little romance with Mandy even before that. He's got story the whole time he's there. We've got Paula. We talked about earlier. She gets screwed again. She's in the major alliance. She's got stories. And we got Dunbar, who has story in the major alliance all season long, dicking over Paula at the end, finally realizing his potential in the challenge world by winning in very impressive fashion, an elimination, and then ultimately the full season in the final that's basically the entire red team has a legitimate storyline then on the blue team we've got big easy he's got story the whole season long there's him making himself better he's coming in having lost a bunch of weight since the last time we saw him we've got laurel ridiculing him and one of the only the only kind of ugly really unfortunate moments of the season that would become a big thing at the reunion and afterwards and there was like a, a special apology video on mtv.com that became controversial by from easy's point of view not actually controversial um but you know him overcoming that him having a couple victories both in the game morally the whole thing uh before his time leaving the show we've got katie overcoming that fall where she as she will say later on you'll hear gets slapped bitch slapped in the face by water she wins multiple eliminations she doesn't yell at anyone the whole season long goes home a new more mature version of herself after she previously said she was retiring now she actually does until all-stars ty and emily as rookies they have story they're the whole story of episode five emily dominating eliminations quickly making a name for herself we've got derek the ultimate professional challenger the last two episodes derek ends up so beaten up his confessionals are crazy by the last episode between riot act and the two eliminations he has to go in he is literally battered and bruised all over his body always just being a badass being derek we've got bananas not being much of a dickhead this season his good buddies johnny or johnny his good buddies kevin and Kenny and Evan aren't there. J.E.K. is not together. And just when it's one of them, he actually gets along with his team and other people get along with him and the other team doesn't like him off past history. But he doesn't, you know, other than getting in a, a, fight, a bar fight with a rando at a bar in Prague, he actually is generally a likable guy for the first time ever. Then you got Jen, the vet leader. I mean, the whole blue team has storylines. And then the gray team as well. We've talked about a lot of them. But quickly, again, Sarah and Laurel, dominant women who don't like C players on their team as they say 
say, you know, their, you know, desire to throw, get rid of Car Maria, obviously Abram and Car Maria, we talked about at length to start this whole thing off. Dan overcoming alcoholism, being sober, Dan being wonderful, the haircut he gets, you know, he ultimately loses the elimination where he wants to go in and prove himself, but he's awesome. The naked lap, the beginning of the season. So all kinds of stuff. Vinny's there for an episode or two and Vinny still sucks. So that's something. And then you throw on top of that, that's all the teams, almost all of the freaking competitors. You got TJ really coming into his own on this season. A lot of good TJ stuff this season. And then you got CT on top of it. Shout out to Tina too. I love you, Tina. Your impact as a heavy hitter on this season, not quite the same as what CT's was. I think that's a fair thing to say. I think you yourself would say that, but even the heavy hitters coming in have an impact. TJ has an impact. It's insane. This season is stuffed full of story, of character, of arc, and it makes for, as we will talk about later when we do the full season grade, it makes for a really incredible season that it has a couple of these huge moments, but it and it has one or two storylines that are bigger than the others that do last the whole season long, but on top of having some of that stuff that we're always looking for, it also has the fact that it's super competitive and interesting from a competitive standpoint the whole season long, and that every single person that makes it past the first couple episodes has a real arc, has a real like memorable thing that you would say about them from this season and really fills in where every single episode, every single segment, whether they're at the house, the daily, the house, the gulag, whatever, everything has something worth watching, and it just leads to the most consistently good season all the way through moment one to last end of season montage and the end of season finale episode everything about this season is just really really good there's only a couple moments that are like great great like really really up there but there's nothing that even falls anywhere near like average it's just all legit really good uh to like verge of great type of stuff it's incredible i have i don't remember any other season before it or really even after it where it's this well-rounded of this many cast members having an impactful moment an impactful story an impactful arc time to hand out some awards as always three on the sports side three on the show side we kick it off with the best daily challenge of the season we have not mentioned the, we've mentioned a couple daily challenges by name. We haven't mentioned them as a whole. So some quick commentary on the daily challenge this seasons as a whole. And a uh, big, big compliment here to give to them. I think it's the best daily challenge collectively that we've seen so far. And I know I have said that a couple times now over the course of the last few seasons, but I think it's true. I think they've really come into their own at building and creating and coming up with these daily challenges. And I think this set of them, especially in the team format, works really, really well. And across the board, similar to everything with the storylines and everything I just said previously moments ago about the season as a whole, it's just all really good stuff, like re nothing anywhere close to average. And, you know, maybe only one that gets to like anywhere near great status, but all really, really good consistently. And it's very competitive as well. Even though Gray did win five out of nine, it didn't feel like they dominated, dominated like we talked about. It felt like a couple individual performances made that five instead of like three everyone around. And every single one of them was competitive. Interesting. It wasn't always just whoever gets to go last wins either. A couple different times, the team that went first wins. All of it. Everything good all around from the daily challenges. If I had to nominate a few of them for the best of this really good group, which I, of course, did, I've got four of the nine that earned nominations. 
in chronological order, they would be episode three's bedhead. This one, as a team, they had to stand on one platform and jump from one to the next five platforms across uh, the jumps getting shorter in length, but the landing area also getting shorter in length. You had to get all your team on each one before you could advance to the next. The most team members at the end as fast as possible would win. Big Easy gets his moment to shine. He does great. It's coming right off him being kind of ridiculed in the house and stuff, and he gets to prove himself and does really, really well. We've got Katie's epic fall and getting smacked in the face by the water, as she says, and the two black eyes that she gets from it and then being an absolute champ about it and having no, you know, obviously it hurt like hell, but walking it off, being totally fine. We have Bananas getting his second of two very dumb DQs that does eventually cost his team and gets called out by his team and is an interesting little moment. We have Sarah and Laurel both face planning, but not Cara Maria, which is an interesting moment in that, the beginnings of that back and forth between them. And of course, we have Siobhan DQing, being horrified, coming off of, you know, rightfully so, as Abram, as he tries to talk her down, would say, you know, I didn't see fear. I saw terror in her eyes after what had happened to her previously. And so that went all around. Really, really good, interesting stuff. Episode four, Bottleneck. Absolutely brutal, absolutely silly. It's a, a obstacle course, team obstacle course on an actual race course uh, where they had to start in the same starting blocks that races or horses would at a horse race, which was hilarious. But it's just a big old wrestling match. They have to all, every single one of the players get through tiny little wedged between hay bales and, and different things and under and over different stuff. And it becomes just a massive wrestling match, mostly between Derek and Abram, but everyone is in on it. It's absolutely chaotic. It's kind of funny. Thankfully, no one gets severely hurt. And uh, Red gets their first win of the season or second win, I think, in a row. So starts to assert themselves. Fifth episode then surfs up as our third nominee. This one, they got to jump two at a time in pairs, jump on a surfboard and ride that surfboard down across the lake from 40 feet up. Riding it gives you a big advantage because it takes away one third of the swimming that you have to do before you can then tap the bell to end it. Most people fall, others ride it. It looks super cool. Chet gets injured, but then finishes before then vomiting everywhere, going completely pale, looking like he's going to die with the horrible concussion he's suffered. But he finishes the whole thing after having suffered that on the fall, which is incredible. The entire red team fails, coming off of two straight wins and getting some momentum. Every single one of them falls. Laurel versus Kara starts in earnest on this one. The blue team cruises and starts to look like the team to beat. It's super duper fun looking. It's cool. It's well executed. That one is incredible. And then episode nine, Riot Act, which is just wild and insane, where they play king of the mud pit, all the men at once, all the women at once, regardless of the numbers of people on each team. They get an actual like police riot shield to hit each other with. And it is so brutal and so insane, and everyone is so beaten up and battered after it, most notably Derek, who makes an incredible one-on-three stand versus the red team, but, you know, one-on-three is not going to happen. Laurel, who wants to throw it the whole time, is so desperate, the last challenge to get Car Maria out, but is called out for possibly wanting to do so. Everyone, it's obvious if Laurel doesn't win that it's because she threw it because she's so much more dominant than all the other women in this. She wins it, which leads to the tie-breaking round, which becomes Brad versus Abram, which is a round two, calling back to Inferno 2, where the first ever balls-in match was played between these two, one of the best eliminations of all time. Tyler gets screwed over after the fact for not taking up that matchup versus Abram. The whole thing's insane. The whole thing's great. Those are your four nominees. But if I had to pick one winner... 
I'm going with the one that was the coolest of all of them. They all had good competition. They all had memorable moments, but the one that is coolest, that rises in just a little bit half letter grade above the rest is episode five, Surf's Up. We move into our second award then. We did best daily. Now we do a best eliminations, high level commentary on the eliminations first. They're all really great games. I liked all of the games that were presented this season, which is five different games that we get to see played. We don't know going in. It's not the card situation that we've seen before where we know it can only be these, but they eventually just redo all of them a second time, except for SWAT, which was a real bummer, but also at the same time, probably wouldn't have worked a second time. The kind of fun of it, the, the novelty of it probably would have worn off very quickly, but they do play them second time twice through in the order isn't the same it's not like they do one through five and then one through four they switch up the order the second time which leaves me thinking and a little bit weary of production shenanigans and picking specific matchups especially possibly thinking of the idea of did they wait until johnny bananas was available to bring ct in because it kind of feels like they did i could be convinced of that but regardless all great games. They're really competitive. Some really good matchups. There's no true puzzle, which is interesting. The, the closest we come to it is the die game where you sit on top of the giant die and you have to roll it without falling off of it into your square in the middle of the arena and then also have it land on the right number. There's like the smallest puzzle element to that, but it's still just purely physical thing. But we do get SWAT. SWAT is amazing and uh, is wonderful. And... Um, yeah, we're going to talk about it right now because it's the first nominee of the four nominees, dual nominee, episode four, SWAT, both Katie and Aia and Eric and Luke nominated here. This one, TJ comes to the house beforehand. Everyone's like, whoa, TJ comes to the house. Bad news. What's going on? He brings Luke and Eric down and tells them, hey, you need to shave before tonight's matchup. And that's all I'm telling you. Go get clean shave and come tell me. I'll be the judge. They both do come down. He says, all right, you're good to go. I'll see you tonight. Leaves them having no idea what the hell this means. There is an incredible montage of the guesses as to what it could be. TJ's never done this. This is totally new. I'm stressing out about what this gulag could be because it involves our faces. And I have two black eyes. I don't want anything going on with my face right now. Think it's something military? I feel like it's gonna be a water thing. I'm thinking something with fire. We're gonna make out until somebody gets a bone and that person wins. Water, submersion. They might have to put like gavels on their beard. Your hair could catch on fire and burn your face. Like bugs. Leeches. Spiders. Scorpions. They're gonna waterboard you guys. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that if it's against the Geneva Convention, I'm pretty sure they're not gonna do it to us in a challenge. Obviously, none of those were right because in actuality, what they had to do is play basically what is now a version of now known as Knob Top. If you're not familiar with the, the internet sensation, an actual big game at bars that lots of people play and there's a real league and championships and the whole thing of Knob Top, uh, that is where people slap each other across the face as hard as they can until one gives up. This is basically a version of that, um, but with fly swatters. You slap each other in the face for five minutes with a single, a small fly swatter. Second round, then, if no one gives up, you slap with a bigger, heavier fly swatter. If no one gives up, then, as neither do, it goes to a third and final round where one arm, you got to hold a bucket off the ground, straight arm out to the side, shoulder strength and endurance, while you still get to slap people with a fly swatter. Hence, the need to be clean-shaven for Eric and Luke, and good thing they were because we get to see those shiny red 
faces the shaving bowl beforehand, wondering what it could be. That's amazing. Katie winning by literal inch as her and Aia both waver right just off the ground for the longest time before Katie gets that win. The guys' red faces and the fact the guys go after it. They hit each other hard and they don't hit faces. As Luke points out early on, Big Easy starts just straight up going for like, let me get that extension a little longer. Why don't I just smack him with the hard part of this right across the ear? That's going to hurt the most. They're insane. The game's insane. It's hilarious. Uh, and it gets nominated. Episode five, Brandon beats Ty and pull me over. Second nominee here. Ty wins round one. Pull me over is where you both are attached and holding on to a, I don't know, 10-foot pole between each other, and you have to push your opponent straight backwards into knock some barrels over to get the round win, best two out of three, and you have to stay in a straight line. There's chains on the side. If anyone goes over the chains, it's a reset. Hold on to the chains too long. You are DQ'd. Ty wins round one, and his team's like, we've got this ace in the hole. Ty, look at him, rookie. What an athlete. Look at those abs, everything. And then he beats Brandon, the wonder kid, the one who's at that point won two straight eliminations, beats him in round one. Everything's looking good. Everything's looking great. Round two starts. Ty pushes Brandon back, and then as Brandon's a couple feet away from his barrels, Ty gasses out. Ty gasses out in a big way. He's He can't move anymore. And Brandon slowly but surely gains a couple inches of ground. And then when one big shove knocks Ty over the railing or the, you know, the chain railing, Ty falls down and Ty does not get up. He is counted off by TJ first of like, all right, you're going to lose the round. You got to get up or the round's over. And he gives him a five count. And Ty does not move. And then TJ's like, all right, all right, round one, that round to Brandon. It's now one to one. Reset, everyone. And Ty doesn't move. And TJ's like, all right, Ty, you got to get up. You got to keep going. There's no, there's no rest here. We're, we're doing one, one more. Round three, let's go. Get up. Ty again doesn't move. And TJ gives one final countdown. It's like, all right, dude, if you don't get up, this is over. The whole thing's over. Not just that round, but the whole thing. Two rounds, full DQ. And Ty doesn't move. Everyone pleads. TJ counts down. Ty doesn't move. The One of the biggest gas outs, like, what the hell just happened there? Is your whole body cramped and seized at once? Are you that gassed from, you know, this extreme amount of effort, but in this very short period of time? What is going on? How does he not at least get the ability to stand back up? And this big stud athlete that everyone thought they had on their blue team Goes down and Brandon wins his third straight. It's very memorable. It's incredible. And again, Brandon, third straight victory. It's uh, it's all good across the board. Next nominee, episode seven, Laurel beating Camilla in Die Hard. We mentioned Die Hard before. You stand on top of the die and you got to roll it. It's way more tricky than uh, than it seems at first. Like I, They all four people or eight people that have to do this in the end. They do it twice, uh, male round to female round both times. So four different matchups in Die Hard. Everyone makes it look, you know, relatively easy as far as they never touch the ground, they never fall, anything like that. I feel like this thing would be super duper hard. And Laurel and Camilla is the closest matchup of any matchup across eliminations we get all season. It comes down to the last turn of the die. They both get to inside of their square, but then Laurel gets the last move first to get it to the side that matters. It's a big time matchup historically looking back. Yes, obviously, if we add a historical context into this, our feelings about Camilla change quite a bit after this particular season. But even with that being said, she is a very successful player in this game, if not a player that is hated by most for many a good reason and many a unfortunate 
tirade that we will, of course, talk about when we get to those seasons. But uh, Camilla versus Laurel, that's two of, you know, the most successful women in the challenge history going at it. We don't know it as much in this moment because it's second season versus first season, but it comes down to the end and Laurel, quote unquote, proving herself to Abram and her team yet again. And then the fifth, fourth, excuse me, fifth kind of, if we do SWAT both ones, fifth and final nominee in the winner, obviously, it's been referenced a few times, but let's talk about it now. Back up off me, CT Backpacks Bananas. All right, boys, keep it clean. You ready? Let's go! CT looks like freaking Godzilla. I've never seen a grown man look so scary in my life. He just gets up and he's doing like this transformer power walk with the Boston mumble. And he carries his custom made Johnny Bananas backpack to the barrel in about five seconds. I can't even believe I'm actually witnessing this. I will tell my grandchildren about this. I'm looking up at the sky at the stars enjoying this beautiful night we have here in Prague, only to be rudely interrupted by being uh, dropped onto a metal trash can. <laughs> Am I hurt? My pride and my ego's hurt. That's what's hurt. Now, clearly this was going to win this award, and clearly, as we said earlier, it's going to win the Moment of the Year award, to spoil that for a second time, but still a category worth listening to because there was a lot of other moments that'll be interesting to see who else gets nominated or even comes close. But this is arguably the most iconic moment in the history of the whole damn show, and it's an elimination. Of course, it's going to win the elimination of the year here for this season. And not only that was the moment itself, so iconic and memorable CT and bananas, you know, at the forefront of this, this incredible feat of strength CT puts on bananas being in that position, the jokes, the memes, the whole thing, but it's also just super impactful to the season at large here. As we've mentioned before, this screws over the blue team. That's riding high before this and, you know, bananas versus Tyler, who knows what happens in this scenario, especially the fact that banana goes first. I will always wonder what happens if Tyler goes first, if Tyler win or does not win the coin flip that it comes down to who goes first and bananas wins and Tyler goes first and is able to, you know, have a long elongated stalemate with CT and wear CT down a bunch, what that would do, how much going second matters in this one. So it's just, it's memorable for so many reasons. And again, it's just, it's iconic. Uh, it's going to be mentioned again here rather shortly. So we don't have to say any bit more now. It is the elimination of the year. Third and final sports side of the equation award, best athletic performance. We've got five nominees. Number one, episode five, Chet in Surf's Up. We said it before, we'll say it again. The man falls from 40 feet up, smacks his head on the water, has a horrific concussion that eventually leads to multiple days in the hospital. However, 
before he goes to the hospital, he finishes the thing. He does a long swim and he finishes in three minutes and 18 seconds, which is the third fastest time of the entire day. And the only two times that were faster were two teams who got onto the surfboard and removed a third of their swimming. He swam faster than anyone else, not named Tyler, his partner in this round. He did the entire day and he did it with a concussion. It's incredible. Chet, nominee number one. Nominee number two, Johnny Bananas in episode seven's Give Me a Hand. Daily challenge. Walking across a tightrope between two buildings using, uh, you know, spaced out ropes to hold on to doing it in partners that are tied together at the hips and the feet. Bananas has to go twice for his team. Two out of the three heats he has to go because of the numbers. He goes two for two. His team goes three for three. They're the only team to do so. They get the win at an important moment and stave off the what eventually would happen to him and the whole team. But uh, for the fact that almost every, you know, every team had someone DQ, he had to go twice out of the three times and gets both times across. He gets nominated here. Episode seven as well. Dunbar in die hard. Shout out the Dunny bear. He absolutely smashes this again. Very tricky thing that the, the eight people that do it, make it look easier than I think it actually is, but no one makes it look easier than Dunbar who smokes this thing. He moves so quick, so methodical, just perfectly every single time, every single movement. It's awesome. Shout out to Dunbar. Then episode nine, CT bananas backpack again. Uh, I don't know what's more uh, impressive athletically than being able to put the arguable greatest player of all time in a very stout, strong man himself in Johnny Bananas. Just pick him up off of a seated position, get him on your back, and then Terminator Transformer walk all the way, avoiding his high stepping over his trip attempts, getting in and then throwing him on top of that uh, barrel, trash can, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, that gets nominated. And then Laurel gets the final nominee, episode 10, the final itself. Laurel absolutely dominates this final and really, really, really proves herself as like, not proves herself in the game because obviously that's happened from moment one. Laurel's on screen, literally daily challenge number one in Fresh Meat 2. But as far as like Laurel's like on that level that no one else is on, maybe on the female side of things, she carries... Most of the logs during the log portion after two of her teammates have gone down, she carries, uh, you know, her half of the, um, is the one going solo on half of the gurney that they have to carry with Abe on it for part of the time. And then Kara on it once Abe goes out and then Sarah on it once she goes out, all of that. She's doing the most the whole time long. She's rolling one of the tires by herself for a big portion of the time. She's just absolutely dominating. She is the best player in the entire final um, I would say it's between her and Tyler in the final who, who looks the strongest and the best overall. And I might give it to Laurel out of those five though. I don't know how a mercenary, a heavy hitter, if you will, is out here cleaning up the awards for a season that they were there for one elimination for, but CT wins again, the best athletic performance is CT in the bananas backpack. Let's talk show side of things, hand out some awards there, starting with best quote. We've got a whole bunch of nominees. The quotes are starting to pick up in earnest. These people are becoming professionals. They know what they're doing. So let's run through these as quickly as we can. Chronologically, as always, episode one, Emily gets sent home. That's Emily with two E's, Emily Fitzpatrick, Emily. She gets sent home uh, first, and she's okay with it because now she can fuck. 
I am very upset that I will not get to see what else is going to go down in this game. You take a bite and you want more. But you know what they say, you win some, you lose some, but nothing's better than getting some. And going home and getting some is what I'm going to do because there was no one here to get it on with. Hey, I mean, she's she's not wrong, I guess. If she's got if she's got, you know, guaranteed back at home and she didn't find anything she liked in the house, good for her. Hope she had fun right when she got home. Moving on, Brandon in episode two. He is sent in for the second time already, and he's not believing this whole team unity garbage. And he says this. Brandon, you're going into the gulag again. I don't understand it either. To me, you show that you're a strong performer and you're a strong player. So it's gonna be a, a battle. Don't try to sell me on this whole team unity, uh, teamwork, all this camaraderie BS when you're just trying to protect your friends. If that's what you're doing, just say it, and that's fine. But don't piss down my back and tell me it's raining. That's a really good one. That one, we gotta we gotta all remember that, add that to the rep- repertoire. That is a great, great, great quote there. Then episode four, we've got Dan. When? All of the ideas are thrown around. We played a little of it for you before. You'll hear it here again. But the ideas are all being thrown around at what this shaved face gulag could really be. He ends that segment saying this. Scorpions. They're going to waterboard you guys. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if it's against the Geneva Convention, I'm pretty sure they're not going to do it to us in a challenge. Unfortunately, I do think there maybe is a moment or two in challenge history that might actually come right up to the line of violating the Geneva Convention, but that's a pod for another day. Moving on to Tyler, whose first of two nominees comes from episode four, when the slap gulag goes from slapping to holding the bucket up, the whole thing changes, and on the female side, he sees it changing in this way. It's a game changer because it's not about bitch slapping. It's about shoulder strength. So I'm not expecting this third round to last very long because I know neither of these girls pick up anything heavier than a cigarette. Anytime you can work in a Katie smoking a cigarette reference, you got to do it. Tyler's wonderful in the confessional booth all season long. Next nominee goes to Abram when trying to make baskets during one of the daily challenges, which requires one of the players to shoot some baskets up high. He sucks at basketball. His team doesn't know, Matt. He says this upon his first shot. Harlem Globetrotters, Harlem Globetrotters, Harlem Globetrotters, please. Oh. Here I go. Oh, good job, Brighton. Makes the shot. <laughs> Eat your heart out, Derek. He eventually would look like a trick shot artist worthy of the Harlem Globetrotters as he nails five baskets, I believe, to get the win for their team that day. Then Tyler comes with another one on getting voted in over Brandon again, or not getting voted in, excuse me, over Brandon, and Brandon being frustrated that Tyler hasn't been, or anyone else hasn't been in. Tyler thinks these might be some of the reasons why that is happening. I'm way too fabulous to be nominated for a gulag. Maybe it's because I'm cute, maybe it's because I'm funny, or maybe it's because I perform under pressure. You do the math. For the girl. We've still got three more nominees. CT up next. He makes another awards appearance. CT episode eight on getting ready to be a mercenary. I don't even know what's going on. They finally just let me out of my cage and I haven't eaten yet. Tony's got a little mouth on him for a little guy. I think it's time I put it to rest. Looking forward to putting him in the dirt. Then, 
Episode nine, Paula on Dunbar voting for her this time around. No one has been screwed over as many times as Paula has by her friends. And no one has more funny statements, if not really sad statements because of what they are meaning than Paula does when getting stabbed in the back by her friends. I could be a watering can with how many holes in my back I have. Then finally, the last nominee is Laurels in episode 10. During the final, she just wants it to be over. She said teammates drop. She doesn't feel like they've got a chance to win anymore. She just wants this nightmare to be over. I think that's it. Here's the thing. My right knee is hurting. My shoulders and back have felt a pain that I never thought that I could experience. I just feel like a kid who wants to go to bed and hug their mom. Those are all incredible. They're all worthy nominees. But if I've got to just pick one out of this stellar group, I'm going with Paula, who wins this award for a second time off of a second quote about friends stabbing her in the back. I could be a watering can with how many holes I have in my back. I love, love, love it. As much as it pains me that it's because she ultimately would lose out here. But we're right there, Paula. We're about to talk about the real great rivals and rivals two seasons. We're about to see the Paula uh, victories happen. We're so close. Can't wait to talk about those. But Paula gets the quote of the season. The Dan Renzi Award winner for the season goes to Tyler for I believe uh, he did not. Well, he did not. He was not quite around long enough to win this award before, but he I have a feeling he might go back to back with this award going into the next season. But for this one, he's the best in the confessional booth. He is the Dan Renzi Award winner for confessional king of the season. Paula gets the best quote. We then come to what is normally one of the biggest, if not arguably the biggest award, but I've already given out. But we still got to talk about all the other nominees. The iconic moment, the best moment, the most memorable, most infamous, whatever you want to say, most iconic moment, the greatest moment of the season that would go into the greatest moment of all time bracket. We've got a bunch of nominees. Let's quickly run through them. Episode two, Abram and Carmaria's first hookup. We mentioned it before. Caught on the security cameras outside by the tree in the hammock. They break the hammock. Coming inside, everyone in the house hearing them in the bathroom, them running out, the scars all across them, all that stuff. It's wonderful. It's great. Episode three, Katie's horrifying fall being bitch slapped by the water. Uh, that moment is extremely memorable. And the the fallout of that or just how she handles all that, really, really memorable. Also in episode three, we've referenced it before. We didn't really talk about it, so we'll briefly touch on it here. Bananas gets in a bar fight, and it's super unclear who initiated what. Um, they kind of skirt past it. They show us it. They can't not because he's got a huge, you know, stitches over his eye and uh, black eye and everything. They wouldn't have been able to hide that. So they have to show us how it happens. But as we see it and as he tells it in the bus after the fact, even though some people chuckle and act like maybe that's not exactly how it happened, is that he's in the bathroom and as he comes out of the bathroom, which is at the top, is kind of in the middle of two flights of stairs, is in the landing between uh, two flights of stairs, that he is just bombarded by three guys, one of which punches him across the face. He manages to push and throw down the staircase and then punches a couple times at that guy's two friends. They get separated. They get taken out. It's on their way out, so they're all leaving anyways. But Bananas has a horrible black eye. He's bleeding from the face. He's got to go get a couple stitches above his eye, the whole thing. And then no one says anything about it. 
again, and it's not cast member on cast member violence. And I assume his story, it checked out from production standpoint that like, Hey, a complete random person just started trying to beat the shit out of me in a bar. Like I, I shouldn't be disqualified from the show for that. I know violence is no tolerance around here, but like, this is, this is kind of something else. So he gets to stay. They never say another thing about it. It's a, uh, it's yet another wild and uh, crazy chapter in the Johnny Bananas in the Challenge House story. Next nominee would be TJ making Luke an easy shave. The montages of ideas that come with what the gulag could be. We played it before. We won't do it again, but that moment, super memorable. Ty in episode five throws some plants, destroys some rooms. Ty loves picking people's buttons. He's already gotten in a couple of verbal arguments that night with a couple different people, most notably Brandon, but then it ends up in a room, the blue team together. Ty is in Emily's bed with her. They're all, the whole group's just kind of talking. He's talked some shit about Emily right there with them sitting in the same bed together. Emily then decides to go down and get some shaving cream, puts it on Ty's face, puts it on Ty's bed, to which Ty very quickly gets serious as ties want to do. It goes from jokes to super serious with him very quickly on this season and others of the show. He takes a plant. He pounds that plant into, into, into Emily's bed, throwing dirt everywhere all around the room. He then pulls the whole bunk bed down on top of Emily. Scary moment as everyone else yells, like, stop doing that. Um, and eventually just trashes and destroys the entire room. It's crazy. It's wild. It's very memorable. It makes the list. Episode seven then. Laurel and Paula naked wrestle. It is Dunny Bear's birthday. They have a birthday party for him. Somehow, someway, I believe in the hot tub, but then they all come inside. Laurel's naked. She gives Dunbar a naked hug on a dare, and then she tackles Paula, rips Paula's shirt completely in half, and the two of them wrestle on the floor naked. Uh, That's pretty memorable. Two Hall of Famers wrestling naked during a birthday party. Shenanigans of, you know, all-time shenanigans for a challenge house. And then episode nine, of course... The Bananas Backpack, the ensuing montage of reactions. We played it before. Why not play it again? All right, boys, keep it clean. You ready? CT looks like freaking Godzilla. I've never seen a grown man look so scary in my life. He just gets up and he's doing like this transformer power walk with the Boston Mumble. And he carries his custom made Johnny Bananas backpack to the barrel in about five seconds. I can't even believe I'm actually witnessing this. I will tell my grandchildren about this. I'm looking up at the sky at the stars enjoying this beautiful night we have here in Prague only to be rudely interrupted by being uh, dropped onto a metal trash can. <laughs> Am I hurt? My pride and my ego's hurt. That's what's hurt. There is a longer conversation to be had about the what this moment means for both CT and Bananas in this moment. We're not going to have that full conversation today. That's a part of the eventual elongated, fully 
figuring it out who is the GOAT debate that I will break down in full one day. The only thing to touch on here it is should be noted, both CT and Tina coming in as heavy hitters, both coming off of a season where they were DQ'd for punching someone in the face, Tina, Beth, CT, Davis and Adam, respectively, back-to-back times. Adam, obviously, in horrifying fashion, the worst fight we've ever seen in the challenge house, arguably, probably. And then, you know, they get their chance. This is kind of their reintroduction. Is it okay? Our audience is going to be okay with us putting him back on the screen. It reintroduces him, and now it allows him to then come back the very next season on Rivals. Super memorable for all kinds of reasons that we will discuss when we do that pod. But for now... The Bananas Backpack, it is obviously, unquestionably, the iconic moment of the season. Next up, third and final award on the show side of things, the best episode of the season. It's uh, not that hard to figure out. There's three nominees that stand above the rest. Again, every episode this season is very, very good. We'll touch on the entire episode grades in the season grade in a moment when we talk about the season grade. But as for the best episode, three nominees. Episode two, Newbie Doobie Doo. This one, Abram's telling ghost stories at the start, which are really funny. Abram then sits out and yells at his team the whole daily challenge wrong, and it's a whole moment. Him and Cara have the hookup at the end of the episode. All of that all the way through is great. Episode five, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Danimal. This one is where Ty goes nuts with the plant. He gasses out at the end, the surf's up daily, check going to the hospital, all of that. And then episode nine, the third nominee and the winner, always a bridesmaid. Episode nine, of course, uh, yet again, features the banana's backpack. It also features Paula getting absolutely screwed over. It features Ride Act, a very good and crazy daily challenge with Laurel not throwing it. That whole storyline coming to a conclusion and a finality. So much wrapped up in that one episode. The penultimate of the season is the best of the season. Let's talk individual cast member awards now, rookie and MVP. On the rookie side, This one's fairly easy, not just to pick the winner, but to pick a top three. We, you know, a bunch of other rookies are going out early on this season. We've got Emily and Derek from Cancun, both go out first, respectively. We've got Aia, JD, both go out very early second and fourth episode, respectively. So those ones really not putting up much of an argument for top three spot, which are taken up by first. Ty, who makes it, you know, to episode five, halfway through, and certainly has his moments before his initial first loss. Then Camilla, who has her moments of victory in this season. So she comes in second, but the obvious, the clear winner is Emily Schramm. Getting that rookie of the year, uh, makes it all the way to the end. Dominant couple of elimination victories, really good performances in the dailies, goes into elimination multiple times without even thinking a second about it, has no problem saying, Jen, you don't ever have to go in. If we have to throw someone in here again at the end, I'll do it again because I'll win and you're a vet and I'm a rookie and I get how it goes. So all in all, Emily Schramm, rookie of the season, no problem. But where it's a little more of a debate is the season MVP. Let's talk MVP, full season MVP, and this one is a fierce debate, and yet again, I will say, we're through 19 seasons going into this one, and we've yet to have a two-time MVP winner, and we've got a lot, eh, not a lot, but we've got some former MVPs in the house here, and we've got a lot of former MVP candidates in this particular cast, and some future MVP candidates in this particular cast, and it really comes down to the wire. It's a tough uh, tough to figure out at the end, but 
figuring out the, the end of the top five isn't as much. With respect to Johnny Bananas, who has a claim for a spot on the ballot, he doesn't quite make it because fifth place, and I can't believe for the last time I am saying this, uh, CT is fifth in MVP voting, I think, for me for this season. That's as high as I think you're allowed to go no matter what you do, even if you literally do the bananas backpack and have maybe the most iconic moment in all of challenge history. You're still a mercenary who's there for all of 10 minutes of airtime. Um, and so you can't go any higher, but the fact that you even can, in 10 minutes of airtime, put up such numbers, such an impact, such a moment that you can make it into the MVP for the entire season ballot, 10 episodes instead of 10 minutes. It's insane, but it's deserved. I mean, he, you know, the elimination, the moment, everything speaks for itself. Uh, his impact on this season is is that great? This season changes dramatically if CT does not agree to get on that plane and come be a mercenary on this season. And so he comes in fifth. Fourth place, I would go with Cara Maria. Obviously there all the way along, major storyline of romance and tension with the team, with Abram and then you know Laurel and Sarah. Wins an elimination versus Mandy, so gets that first one of what would eventually be many elimination wins under her belt. Gets the first final of what would be many in the future under her belt. Performs admirably all the way through and clearly has a very different mindset and confidence level this season compared to the first time we saw her on Fresh Meat 2. All wrapped together, a very great season, a ballot-worthy season from Cara Maria. She comes in fourth. In third comes... My guy, Tyler Duckworth, the Dan Renzi Award winner, the best confessionals, the eventual, the only one in this top five, spoiler alert, that uh, actually won the season with his team. He gets multiple elimination wins. Obviously, the one CT Bananas related is iconic and then obviously beats Derek. Even if the matchup is one that super favors Tyler, it's still beating Derek in a physical elimination. That's no slouch no matter what. The strong alliance throughout, he's entertaining, the whole thing. Tyler, absolutely bordering on MVP, worthy season, certainly worthy of the ballot. He finishes in third. And then come the top two, and this is where I really struggled. And this is where we almost had not only our first ever two-time winner, but also our first ever back-to-back winner. But ultimately, I put her in second, and that is Laurel. Laurel, We've talked a lot about her throughout this podcast, the dominant female of this season for sure, probably the dominant athlete period of this season, you know, respect with respect to Tyler and Abram um, and even a Johnny and a Derek, I think is Laurel uh, for the whole season and, you know, has the big storyline. Um, does have the one ugly moment, her and easy. We didn't really talk about it cause I don't want to talk about it. I'd prefer not to highlight, you know, the ugliest moments every season and have to talk about them unless they really rise to the level of importance, which, you know, that one does, uh, it was horrible. You know, how she treated easy in the one moment, the, the shaming that goes on. Um, she does apologize with real remorse for it, you know, via an MTV.com video afterwards, which was odd, but I think producers had a lot to do with that. And I don't have the reunion and the shit they should have shown available to me right now. I know that's discussed at length during the reunion, but I wasn't able to watch that for this. But regardless, she came a long way. We know the growth that Laura would have from that moment on. Um, and we know we're going to get to talk about a lot of good qualities of Laurel as a person and a friend in very near futures, uh, seasons coming up. So I didn't want to weigh it down with that 
singular moment and otherwise stellar season all across the board, but she's a part of all the stories. She has third most confessionals of the season. She's probably the most dominant player of the season. She damn near drags that gray team to a win in the end, even with people falling and DQing and I will stand by. I didn't say it before, so I'll say it now. If Abe and Sarah even if they DQ in the final, if they could DQ and it just wouldn't have, if they could have been quick, if it would have been like the moment Abe goes down, they don't stand there for what seemed like at least 10 minutes being like, are we going to bring the, take him to the hospital? Is he going to DQ? What's going on? And then same thing with Sarah. It seems like at least 10 minutes of just sitting with her until we finally decide like, we need to leave you behind and keep going here. If those somehow, some way could have just been immediate decisions. They're like, Abram's done. Okay, he's done. We're still moving. You go get help, medical we're moving and there's no time delay. I think the gray team wins the whole thing behind on the back, literally mostly of Laurel as well as Kara and Luke kicking ass, but she comes in second, uh, which now two seasons in a first place and a second place in MVP Laurel's obvious hall of fame candidacy and career is off to a killer start, but the winner of the MVP of the season has to be Abram at the end of the day. Uh, and it feels like it feels right that after he would have so clearly been the MVP of the island and also won the island, um, if not having to leave during the middle of it for business purposes, it feels right that he would he'd come back and get an MVP. He doesn't ultimately get the win, but he drives the storylines all season long. Him and Kara, as we talked about, the biggest story of the season, and then his defense of Kara and the inner turmoil of the gray team that results from it. His sometimes antagonistic, sometimes just fun and good natured, uh, towards the blue team in the red team, his leadership, him, while he never goes into eliminations, he does have the one-on-one rematch with Brad. Uh, and then, you know, as much as, you know, he craps out in the finals and gets the heat exhaustion and goes out on, you know, medical DQ, it's still a huge moment in the finals. It's just this, if anyone, the most fingerprints on this season, everyone has fingerprints on this season, the entire cast through, as we discussed. But if anyone has the most, if anyone was the highest impact, the biggest value add to this particular season, it's got to be Abram by a hair over Laurel. Abram becomes our 20th new MVP winner. And we've come to the final task, the full season grade. Where does Cutthroat rank among all challenge seasons of all time, or at least the now 20 that we have graded and put into the Pantheon? Well, uh, we've talked at length about almost the whole thing. As always, this final segment here, we will break down a female cast grade, a male cast grade, a sport grade, and a show grade, which not by average, but does help lead us to the overall grade and its placement in the all-time rankings. Let's go through, because I, again, as I started this very whole podcast off, saying in the introduction, in the programming notes, that I was surprised for the third straight season at where I ended up. If you would have asked me going in what I thought the grade would probably be from just you know more foggy memories of different rewatches of the past, I would have said one thing, and it would have ended. This one ends up being higher than that. Let's break it all down. Female cast first. B plus for the female cast. From a heavy hitter perspective, we've got Cara, Maria, Laurel, Sarah, Emily, Paula, Teresa, Camilla, and Katie. 
Yes, I know one of those people is banned from the show for good reason at this point, but uh, you know, same as it's been the whole time along, just because you end up getting banned from the show doesn't mean that you're not a major memorable character and fall in a heavy hitters category when we're talking how memorable are all these characters to build, you know, how good is this cast? So heavy hitters, Cara, Laurel, Sarah, Emily, Paula, Teresa, Camilla, Katie, that's a lot. Solid contributors, Tori, Jen, Mandy, and Siobhan, Duds, Melinda, Aia, and Emily. Uh, that all rounds out to a B plus a lot of heavy hitters, couple solid and more, uh, most important here as is always important, not just the distribution of heavy hitters, solids and duds, but where they make it into the season. All the duds are out early. Most of the solid competitors are out after that. All these heavy hitters, almost all of them make it damn near to the end. If not the end mail cast side, just a touch lower. That's a B. Heavy hitters, Brad, Tyler, Abram, Derek, Bananas, still 5 out of 15, still really good. Solid contributors, Dunbar, Luke, Dan, Brandon, Chet, Ty, and Easy. The Duds, three of them, Vinny, JD, and Derek. Derek Chavez, uh, I will likely eventually bump up to a solid contributor, but for his first season, he goes home the first episode, and there's really not a lot of impact in that single episode. So for this time, he's got to be put in the Duds category, although I think he will eventually, even the next season he's on, be elevated up to a solid contributor as well. Overall, though, it's a lot of solid, enough heavy hitters. That's a B on the sport grade. We get into A territory. I give the sport grade an A minus. Again, I think the best collection of dailies we've had so far, the most consistently very good daily challenges all the way through. I think we have really good eliminations, plus the Bananas Backpack, an iconic elimination, as well as some other very competitive and cool eliminations. Competitive throughout and all levels. There's twists and turns and who I thought would win at any given point. It's the most interesting competitive season, as we said before. All of that adds up to an A- minus sport grade, which I think is at least tied, if not the best, of all of these sport grades we have ever given let me quickly clarify that yes we've only ever given out one a minus before on the sports side that was the dual one rarefied air that the cutthroat season enters then going back to the show grade a b plus which is very very high as well consistently really good show only the one moment that i would call unbelievably great which is obviously the iconic maybe most great moment in the whole history of the show. So that's saying something. But everything else, as we said before, we'll say one more time here, is consistently really good. Not average, not good. Consistently really good from start to finish. I mentioned earlier the episode grades super high for this season. The best full list of episode grades in any season ever in the history. Every one of these episodes grades out at a B, B plus, A minus, or A. Uh, with one exception, one drops to a B minus, but the rest, there's a couple B's, there's a ton of B pluses, there's one A minus, one A. It's an incredible collection. More on that in a minute. But from the show grade standpoint, the B plus show grade, Abram and Kara plus those two versus Laurel and Sarah. We got that. We got the Bananas backpack, but also Johnny just being somewhat likable for the first time ever. We've got Brad and Tori being a married couple winning. Tyler and Paula, their stories developed. Ty and Emily, fun rookies. All the other little storylines, everyone getting one that we talked about. Just well-developed, well-run, really, really good show all the way through. Which leads us to the final overall grade, which is... An A minus. It makes it into the top tier, into the A tier. It comes in at an A minus. It gets there. And I did not think coming in that this season had gotten there. I did not necessarily remember it as such. And I think part of that is because 
when thinking back on this season, I some of the first things I think about are things that don't always, or people are things that don't age quite as well. Um, just kind of in like a group of winners who I'm thrilled for Tyler, but I'm more interested in his rivals win. And, you know, Brad and Tori and Dunbar, it's a little more like, oh, yeah, sure, they won. That's great. Good for them. I like Brad a lot. So that's all nice. Um, but you think, uh, you know, just you think there's the one big bananas backpack moment. And for that reason, I kind of always feel like in my head that, yeah, I think it, the season gets a little overrated because everyone's just like, oh, the one iconic moment. And it kind of makes me forget or at least made me forget going into this rewatch that, no, actually, it's just unbelievably good all the way through. And that was the part that kind of surprised me is that in my head, I had kind of went against this idea that it had maybe been a little overrated just because of the one moment. And in fact, not at all. This season absolutely rules. I think it might be the most rewatchable season because of its consistency. Again, not the best ever. That still for this current time being is the dual one, the only A season of all time right now. But as far as the most rewatchable ever, it wouldn't be my top choice from a subjective personal favorite standpoint because that more matters who's on the season, what the storylines are. But just from start to finish, if you got to rewatch a season, you got to binge a season, there's just no dull moments. As I said before, there's only one out of 10 episodes that even falls to a B minus in my episode grades. The rest, three Bs, four a, uh, B pluses, five B pluses, an A minus, and an A. That's that's an incredible run of episodes. And as we just had said, Duel is still the best ever. It's a full A. It's the only one. But this, getting an A minus, puts it tied with Inferno 2, Fresh Meat 1, Fresh Meat 2, and now Cutthroat. Those four seasons are all at an A minus, which round out the top five. So 20 seasons in, Cutthroat is for sure in the top five, tied with those right there in the mix with Inferno 2, Fresh Meat 1, and Fresh Meat 2. I do not already, a few weeks back, it's only been, but Fresh Meat 2. I do not remember where, I think I said definitively where I would put Inferno 2, Fresh Meat 1, Fresh Meat 2. I don't even remember now, and I think that would change day-to-day anyways, and certainly would, trying to throw Cutthroat in that group. So I know that's the top five. I know they all deserve their A-. minus. Personal taste may dictate where I and you listening might put those four, how you would break that ties. I think if I had to go top five right now, I had to break the tie, I'd go Fresh Meat 2, Inferno 2 3rd, Cutthroat 4, Fresh Meat 1 5. But that could change any day. You ask me that tomorrow, I might say Fresh Meat 1 is actually the second best. If you ask me a day after that, it'd be like Inferno 2. Are you kidding me? I, sh- I should have graded that higher. It might be as good or better than the Duel. I don't think I would say that quite, but I might say it should be the best of these four. Either way, you shake it out. Duel is one. And then the next four to make up the top five, Inferno 2, Fresh Meat 1 and 2, and now Cutthroat. Cutthroat makes the list. Incredible season. I hope you've rewatched it before listening to this. If you haven't, go rewatch it now. There's so much to love. It's such a good season. Start to finish. And uh, it, it ends up higher than I expected it to be. My expectations was this would be a B minus a B at best. And it was a little overinflated because of the one big moment, not the case at all. Cutthroat is elite. And with that, We've covered it all. We've nailed it down. We've put it in its place in the Pantheon for all time. We'll see how that top five shakes up as we continue to do more and more seasons. As we said at the top with the programming reminders, the rewatch series is one week off next week. There will not be an episode two weeks from today. We'll be back with Rivals. We will enter 
the greatest stretch of seasons in the history of the challenge. This is going to be incredible. It's been so much fun these first 20 seasons, but the next one, we got rivals, X's, seasons, rivals two, free agents, X's two. Are you kidding me? This is going to be incredible. We're going to see about maybe getting some guests for some of those. And as always, if you've got thoughts, opinions, comments about this podcast or those possible future rewatches, please let me know. Hit me up on Instagram at Challenge Historian. DMs are always open to talk challenge. So with that, thank you so much for being here, for watching, listening, however you're consuming. Hit that follow, hit that subscribe. You don't miss a thing. We'll be back Wednesday nights, Ride or Dies recaps coming at you. Until we talk again, love you. Peace.